1: It is Friday, September 9th, and this is People Every Day. Hello everyone, it's me, Janine Rubenstein, and if you are tuning in to learn more about what's happening with the royal family, you know, funeral plans, succession plans, whose title is now what, where things stand on all the drama, then you are in luck. We've got another royals-packed show for you today. As the world mourns Queen Elizabeth, we are all eager to see what kind of monarch King Charles will be. So let's get right to it and hear what he has to say for himself.
2: As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love.
1: The King has spoken, as you just heard. Earlier today, King Charles III of his name addressed his subjects from Buckingham Palace. With his mother's death yesterday, a chain of events known as, quote, Operation London Bridge sprung into effect a plan that's been in place since the 1960s. Yesterday's public announcement of the Queen's death was part of this plan, not saying they knew when it had happened, but just how they'd roll the news out. Other plans include a state funeral to be held for Queen Elizabeth at Westminster Abbey before she's moved into her final resting place at Windsor Castle's King George VI Memorial Chapel. Charles is now the king, his wife, Camilla, the queen consort, and while his coronation is still in the works, he's already leaving his mark in the UK. King Charles's face will begin to appear on banknotes, coins, and stamps, and the United Kingdom's national anthem has some new lyrics for the first time in 70 years. The line, God save the queen will now be changed to God Save the King. All current British passports are issued in the name of Her Majesty, and you guessed it, all newly issued passports will say His Majesty. Basically, everything that carried Queen Elizabeth's image, likeness, or signature will now feature Charles on a go-forward basis. We here at People are, of course, all over this story with new royal family coverage across all platforms. And on top of that, you can find our two special covers featuring Queen Elizabeth on newsstands today. And the two images, one of her as a young queen and one in her latter years, as I've always seen her, are both striking. Make sure to pick up a copy. But back to watching the throne, there is a major adjustment within the royal family, let alone in the UK and the rest of the world. So let's dig into King Charles, the man under the crown. King Charles III has had a life that is full of not only service to the monarchy, but also drama. And he has spent a lifetime preparing to take the throne. So here to help us get into that life thus far of the man that is now king and what to expect from his reign is People's Chief Foreign Correspondent, Simon Perry. Hi, Simon. Hi, Janine. Let's begin with the feeling in the UK, kind of where we began yesterday. <laughs> he has arrived at Buckingham Palace. What's the vibe that's there
3: now? It doesn't feel as sombre as yesterday in a funny sort of way. I think, obviously, it's muted. It's not exactly... No one's celebrating, of course. But Prince Charles... uh, Sorry, King Charles. And I keep having to correct myself on this. Everyone does, I think. He's just arrived back in London from Scotland. He was driven through some some of the streets, obviously, with the royal standard flying on his car, which I, as a Brit, have only ever seen that flying on the Queen's car. And there he is sitting in that car with his wife Camilla by his side, driving through the streets of London and arriving at Buckingham Palace with that standard then flying above the palace for him, not for her. That's just one of the main things that just everything has changed while staying the same in a funny sort of way. He was greeted really nicely. I think people heard them singing God Save the King to him. He even got a kiss on the cheek from a well-wisher that sort of leaned over the barrier. So in terms of reception, I suppose he would get a good reception around the palace. The sorts of people who are going to go are going to be friendly, but it was welcoming, I suppose, the best way of putting it, without being celebratory, obviously.
1: I like that point that you said that everything has changed, but nothing has changed. But I, I got to ask, because it, it was floating around, like when you woke up, could you just go to the ATM and get Charles money?
3: <laughs> that hasn't changed, and our stamps haven't changed, and so on. That, I guess, will take some time. He, If he's <clears throat> anything like his mother, she posed for a The portrait that was on all the stamps and the money, I think about 20 days after she became queen. So I imagine that'll happen at some point. But no, seriously, I mean, even post boxes have her cipher on them and things like that. And they're not all going to get ripped up tomorrow and changed. So yeah, these things will take a gradual change. And as I say, by slip of my tongue, it's going to take us a long time to get used to it as well.
0: Well,
1: let's go into Charles's history. He had to step into this like spotlight at age 3 but what were the younger years like for him
3: well he's made the bones of this when he was uh, talking to biographers and also other biographers have have made this point themselves that he actually found it quite hard he he, he didn't see his mother much she was away Touring the world as a queen, a young queen, age 25 when he was three and four and those sorts of ages, sent away to school at age eight or so to be at boarding school. So I think it was quite a distant relationship he had um, with his mother, especially in those years, which would be, which were hard for him, I think. But someone made the point to me today who knows him that since he's been knowledgeable of this sort of thing as at age three or four, he's always known he'd be king. Whereas the Queen didn't know that when she was at that same sort of age. So this man has lived with this all his life. Whereas the Queen, it sort of came to her suddenly because her her father's brother abdicated and then suddenly it changed the line of succession. So he's not just prepared for it, but mentally prepared for it. But also he's felt that pressure for, as a young boy. And that must have been quite strange.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering what that looks like in you know those formative years, those teen years, early twenties.
3: Well, he was a student and went away to university and all that sort of stuff, and then became quite a pin-up in terms of eligible male and uh, one of the most eligible men around the world because of his status. I think I think he's one of the, again going back to that. In fact he'd been kinging waiting all his life so there was that period in the sort of 18 19 year old onwards and then you know he's jumping out of her- helicopters he was a good sailor he was great on horses and all that sort of swashbuckling stuff he attracted a lot of attention for that and maybe hard to imagine for people who are just looking at him today as a 73 year old uh, white-haired man but he was quite the pin-up for that age of the sort of mid mid 70s
1: wow enter enter diana and camilla how would you say that defined him, that marriage, that iconic marriage, that iconic split, and the remarriage in an era where, you know, divorce was not spoken about publicly or even done on, in a way that was anything to be celebrated?
3: As I think someone said, told us in our magazine uh, a week or two ago when we celebrated Diana's life 25 years on, he will always be haunted by the story of his wife and how that sadly ended. He met her when she was only just 19 or so, or well, started dating her then, and married at 20. It was a very different, innocent sort of age. As I said, everyone wanted him to get married, but all along he had his heart was with someone else for large parts of his 20s and then throughout his marriage, which was Camilla, of course. So uh, she'd already entered his life before Diana. Those three people, as it were, are the the trio that sort of defines his his more recent life in many respects.
1: And so when it comes to her death, it's still so sad to think about to this day. The loss of the queen is, of course, huge news. But with Diana, no one expected that. No one saw that coming. And it's still something that is brought up to this day. So how did that affect him?
3: Well, initially he struggled with it. Clearly, he had to put back the chance of getting married to Camilla. They were moving ahead with that, or at least being together more long term. That all had to be put on the put on the back burner, as it were. He had to devote himself more to his sons and helping bring them up. They were only teenagers, and it took many years before Camilla was back, sort of more publicly by his side. It was you know two or three years before she was even venturing out uh, sort of close to him and people were to leak stories about them together and that get people accustomed to the idea that Charles might remarry. That took a long time and it wasn't until 2005 that in fact they got married, which is, as, as we know, almost eight or so years after Diana died. Because of the enormity of Diana and the pull she had and her popularity, Charles and the Queen, more importantly at the time, had to move very slowly about the acceptance of Camilla.
1: Well, lastly, let's talk about some of the changes, things that he's already spoken about wanting to introduce or take away when it comes to policies and his
3: role. He's always envisaged a smaller, slimmed-down monarchy in terms of the number of working members of the team, as it were, of the family out there and being supported by the state and all the other things that have to go with it. And he very much saw... Prince Harry is part of that, which is one of the sadnesses uh with Prince Harry and Meghan's departure from the working royal family. He hoped very much that they would be be a part of it, but that wasn't to be. And William and Kate, a lot is going to fall on their shoulders now as the next in line and also the only ones really of a, of an age to be travelling the world a lot and so on. Part of the reason for this is money and also, I think more importantly, probably the idea that the public appetite for spending for large numbers of members of one family isn't there. And he recognizes that and he wanted to sort of make it a bit more streamlined.
1: Simon, thank you. Thank you. We are joined by our very own Michelle Tauber as she helps us dig into what's happening within the royal family, the new titles, the new duties, and the new overall family dynamics. But first, we are joined by People's Senior Royals editor, Erin Hill, as she reflects on Queen Elizabeth's legacy and shares what we can expect from her funeral. We'll be right back with more royal family talk. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you.
1: We are back and joining me now is someone else who spent a lot of time covering Queen Elizabeth and can give us a little more insight into what all's to come. People's Senior Royals Editor Erin Hill. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me, Janine. So I want to dig into some of the particulars of what this transition in the coming days is going to look like. But first things first, how are you feeling about yesterday's news? Covering the Queen was such a huge part of your job.
4: It is. And, you know, I've I've come to just love and respect the Queen so much. So it's so emotional, you know, for all of us who, who cover her and for especially my UK, UK colleagues who have just grown up with her as their monarch. And the only monarch they've known is, is such a, a powerful moment for sure. And I'm very sad thinking of the family and of um, people all over the Commonwealth and the UK.
1: And then when it comes to, you know, we're counting down the days to this funeral of, I can imagine, huge proportions. What does that look like? And, and, and for our part, how will we be covering this in these next coming days?
4: people is going to be there every step of the way from every plan that's being made. This is going to be the possibly the most watched funeral in the world. Not since probably Princess Diana's funeral will we see as many people tune in, dignitaries from all over the world coming in to honor the queen in, you know, the next week and a half or so until we have the funeral. And we'll She'll be right there when the palace is updating us with the latest, with all the details for the funeral and the plans in place. There'll be a, a time where she'll be lying in state and we'll see mourners coming from all over to Balmoral, to Buckingham Palace, to all the royal palaces, to London. It'll just be a sight we haven't seen. You have to think in some ways seeing the country come together back in June to honor her for 70 years was just the such a fitting farewell to her to see this outpouring of appreciation for her. She'll just have to think how lovely for her to have seen that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then when it comes to these strains within the family that we know exist, does all of that kind of dissipate in a moment like this?
4: You know, it's, it's tough to say. You have to think in a moment like this. I think a lot of us can relate to moments like this in our families when there is a death, and it brings people together. It, it really does change the dynamics. Sometimes these long rifts can can kind of melt away when it comes to this shift in perspective. When something like this happens, we know the family gathered together by her side in her final moments, and that would be you know the first time in a while with them all being together in one place under one roof, and. Uh, People will be there, you know, reporting all the news to come that we learn um, through our sourcing. There's such interest in this family and there has been for decades and continue to to follow as we learn more about these delicate relationships and how everything has kind of shifted now with this news and they lost their matriarch. It's not just the queen, that's the head of their family. And it's really going to, I think, affect so many of these relationships.
1: Well, Erin, keep calm and carry on. I know you guys are doing a lot over there. Thank you so much for bringing us up to date.
4: Thank you, Janine. And now we are
1: going to take a deeper dive into these family dynamics, these royal family dynamics, with my girl Michelle Tauber, who is our editorial director of Society and Culture, and she is back on with me today. Hi, Michelle. How you doing?
0: Hi, Janine. Good, a lot going on.
1: We spoke so much yesterday about the Queen and this legacy that she left. So I want to start at where I feel a lot of people's minds are at right now, Harry and Meghan, and and what this kind of means for them. If we go back to when the news broke, we know Harry was en route to get there, and, and we're hearing that the news kind of came out shortly before he made it. Take me into how that all worked.
0: Sure. So as you say, Janine, you know, this is a family and it's a business. It's a family business. So all of this intersection makes things complicated, right? Because you want your loved ones to be able to be the first to hear the news. But at the same time, there's this duty to the nation of Great Britain to share something of this magnitude. And all of that was being juggled yesterday. What we have confirmed is that it appears the only two children of Queen Elizabeth who were at her bedside before her death were her heir and eldest son, Prince Charles, the new King, King Charles, and her only daughter, Princess Anne. It's our understanding that the other members of the family who were rushing as quickly as they could to be at Balmoral to say their goodbyes did not arrive in time, and that would include Prince Harry, Prince William, the Queen's second son, Prince Andrew, and her youngest son, Prince Edward
1: got it. So it wasn't just Harry. It, it it was the whole family kind of rush and as you can imagine would be the case, you know, you, you try to get there as fast as you can when something like this happens and and who knows. When it comes to William and Kate, take me into their titles now, the shifting of their roles. He is now the heir officially.
0: Yes, the line of succession while it sort of seems like something fantastical in a show like Game of Thrones or, you know, some of the fantasy shows that are popular, is a very real thing in the year 2022 for this royal family. And indeed, with the death of the queen, the line of succession has radically shifted. So now we have, as you say, Prince William, the heir to the throne. We have Kate, who is expected to become someday queen consort, the way that Camilla is also going to be known. And their children all move up on the line of succession as well. One of the titles that is probably familiar to your listeners, Janine, is Prince of Wales and Princess of Wales. Of course, Prince Charles was known as Prince of Wales, the longest serving Prince of Wales in history. And most people associate the title of Princess of Wales with Diana. And it's important to understand that now that Charles is monarch, all of these title decisions are in his hands. The awarding of titles is at the discretion of the monarch.
1: And on that note, during his address today from the palace, King Charles shared that he is indeed naming William and Kate Prince and Princess of Wales, but stopped short of his plans to extend a new title to Meghan and Harry. Let's take a listen.
2: As my heir, William now assumes the Scottish titles, which have meant so much to me. He succeeds me as Duke of Cornwall and takes on the responsibilities for the Duchy of Cornwall, which I have undertaken for more than five decades. Today, I am proud to create him Prince of Wales, to Tewisog Cymru, the country whose title I have been so greatly privileged to bear. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, Continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the center ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas.
1: So William and Kate are Duke And Duchess of Cornwall, in addition to Prince and Princess of Wales. And Meghan and Harry still have their titles as Duke and Duchess of Sussex, correct?
0: I think it's a good reminder that Meghan and and Harry were not stripped of their royal titles, right? They're still, he is still Prince Harry. Meghan is Duchess of Sussex. He is Duke of Sussex. I'm often asked, Janine, are, are, do we still call him Prince Harry if he's not royal? And and I always say, he is still royal and they have their titles. They stepped away from senior royal duty, but they didn't sort of like, you know, uh, expunge themselves of their royalness. <laughs> so that's something they maintain. Now, what is really interesting is your question about Lilybat and Archie, their two children. That, I think, you know, is, is everyone's eyes are going to be on. So if I may explain a bit. So so Charles now being monarch means that his two direct sons, William and Harry, and their children have all moved up, right, in the, in the line of succession. And so historically, that would mean that including Archie and Lilibet in this prince and princess category—and I'll give you a good an example if this helps people understand. For example, you know, the children of Prince Andrew, who was son of the monarch but not the heir— his two daughters are Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie. So you expect those people who are directly under the air to have those, those titles. And that would be historically the way it, it's done.
1: But it's at Charles's discretion.
0: It is. And we know from the Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry that Meghan asserted that, in fact, there were people within the institution who did not want Archie to have the prince title, and that that was a a, a departure from protocol. Which is interesting, the protocol is now kicking into place, because he, now that Charles is monarch, so now this is where this becomes really interesting, because she she's correct. The protocol would be that Archie and Lilibet would have the prince and princess titles. It would be a departure if they don't. So we, like I said, everyone will be watching to see what Charles's decision is. And then a note on the Oprah interview, Janine, You may remember that after the interview aired, the Queen made that sort of unprecedented statement saying some recollections may vary about what was said in that interview. So that's always sort of an asterisk.
1: Speaking of what was said, I'm just looking back at these quotes. We have in tandem the conversation of, quote, he won't be given security. He's not going to be given a title. And everyone will remember this. She says, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born.
0: Yes, and, and I also want to make the note that you may remember, too, that, in fact, after that interview aired, Meghan and Harry sort of issued an addendum saying that the comment about Archie's skin did not come from either Prince Philip, who was then still living, or, of course, Queen Elizabeth at the time. So it was an interesting clarification that they wanted to make, that it was not coming from the Queen or Philip, because many people at that point had been speculating about it.
1: And so what of Duke and Duchess of Sussex? We know they they maintain their titles, but do those change?
0: They may, and we don't know yet. But for now, they will remain Duke and Duchess of Sussex.
1: Got it. Got it. How do these title changes happen? I mean, I know this, there's a lot going on. She, The Queen just passed, but... Is that happening at Charles's coronation? You know, will there be a separate ceremony? I was joking today. I was like, do they get an email? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, with the royal royal insignia, the signature at the bottom. <laughs> These things are probably going to happen incrementally. It would not happen at the coronation, in all likelihood. That day will be all about King Charles III. There is a ceremony for Prince of Wales. There are very famous photos of Queen Elizabeth laying her sword upon her son Charles's shoulder for his Prince of Wales ceremony. And I think we will have that moment with William, with all of the pomp and pageantry that comes with that.
1: Well, in, in talking about who's getting a title and who isn't, it, it brings me back to that moment where we saw the law change so that Charlotte, Kate's daughter, would not have to come after her younger brother in the line of succession. So, so take me back into how that came about. To me, it was painted as, I think for the world, it was painted as, look what this amazing thing that Kate did, and then you have all the drama when, you know, Megan is just trying to make sure her, her kids aren't good at title.
0: It's absolutely true that there have been many double standards throughout the years since Megan has become a member of the royal family. And that is one, you know, it, the, the law you're referring to is called primogeniture, and it is indeed the most outdated, right? That, that it, the eldest male, member is, so if there is no male member, then like the Queen the Queen Elizabeth, who just died, then it goes to her. But otherwise, brother, 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 you know. So it was about time that that law was changed. That was not in Kate's hands to change it. But I think it's a valid point, Janine, that that double standard certainly tends to favor Kate overwhelmingly in terms of the coverage among some outlets who see Kate as a standard bearer, of the institution, of the monarchy. Whereas with Meghan, as you point out, when she makes a comment like, there was talk that my son wouldn't be called prince, which would be a departure, some outlets and certainly some, you know, factions on Twitter and social media tend to jump all over Meghan. Exactly.
1: And then uh, the Queen's other grandkids, Peter Phillips, Zara Tyndall, Princess Beatrice, Princess Eugenie, Lady Louise Windsor, James Viscount, Severn. We didn't hear much from them yesterday. Is that usual? Nothing is usual. A monarch hasn't died in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, just your everyday family. (laughs) But um, will they be, you know, kind of trotted out as things go along?
0: And this is a great question because I do hear a lot of confusion around this. What I mentioned earlier, the line of succession—I can't. It's really hard to explain to Americans like how seriously they take this, and I don't say that glibly. Like it's just hard for us because we don't we don't have this. But to them, it it isn't just about who's next in line. It's about prioritizing the world's attention and in particular Britain's attention. So for something like hearing from the cousins or hearing from someone was asking me, how come we haven't heard from William yet? And my answer is th- the line of succession reigns supreme. It's important to understand that we had not yet heard from the new king, Charles Third, and the world and in particular Great Britain cannot hear from, let's say, Prince William or Princess Eugenie before they have heard from King Charles. So that was the benchmark before anyone else could speak out.
1: Oh, all the protocols, my goodness. And lastly, I, I got to go back to it because we had a-, a really great conversation yesterday about how this is so centered in such a-, a difficult time for the family when it comes to Harry and Meghan and what that all meant. 2020 was just a huge very public split. So w- where do you position that drama in all of this?
0: Yeah, it is it is a really sensitive area because of course this is a real family they are plunged into mourning. I thought it was really astonishing to watch King Charles this morning greeting the public as he's mourning the death of his mother less than 24 hours ago. And that's what the royal family does. So I think, publicly, you will, of course, see the continuation of that, they will hit the marks, as we saw in the heart of everything you just described was the death gene of Prince Philip, you know, not long after Meghan and Harry had had left. It was a very, of course, grim and somber occasion, but we saw Harry step into line with the rest of the family as expected. I've been thinking about this a lot. What family doesn't have dysfunction? But when a family has tension and, and, and there are breaks and fissures, Of course, something like a death can often be very unifying, right? Because it sort of puts everyone in this mindset of, we miss mom, we miss grandma, let's focus on what we have. So I think there is the potential for that kind of unity in grief. I think... There's also the potential that this can be very uncomfortable. And again, we're talking about the family that in some ways, you know, protocol sounds like it's something out of Game of Thrones, all of this succession talk, et cetera. On the other hand, these are human beings who have lost their mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, and all of the messiness and the complicated feelings and emotions that come with that.
1: For sure. Michelle, thank you so, so much for being on. Thank you, Janine since Queen Elizabeth's passing, there have been a lot of stories resurfacing as the world takes a collective look back at her place in history and her time on the throne. And while Queen Elizabeth was certainly a larger-than-life figure, it's important to keep in mind that, you know, she was a person like all of us who had pets and hobbies and was someone who loved her family. And on that note, it made me remember this story that's like, oh yeah, Queen Elizabeth is also just a grandma doing grandma things. <laughs> Last year, Prince Harry appeared in a segment on The Late Late Show with James Corden. The two spent an afternoon together bouncing around Southern California on top of one of those double-decker buses, remember that, you know, that tourists usually take? It was so good. But at one point, Prince Harry shared this incredibly cute story about his grandmother, the Queen, and her Christmas present to Archie.
2: Interesting, my, my grandmother asked, asked us what Archie wanted for Christmas, and Meg said a waffle maker. She sent us a waffle maker for Archie. No. So breakfast now, Meg makes up a beautiful, like organic mix. Yeah. In the waffle maker, flip it, out it comes. He loves it. Sorry, you're glossing over the fact that I cannot for the life of me imagine the queen ordering a waffle maker to be sent to Santa, but I can't get my head around. <laughs> I don't even know how to comment on that.
1: I'm with James. That's just such a funny image to me. There's Queen Elizabeth just scrolling through Amazon, reading all the reviews on Waffle Makers and picking out one to send her great-grandson. I love that so much. Well, thank you all for joining us again today. I am off to start my Emmys preparations. Got the hair appointment today, wardrobe, makeup to follow later this weekend. But since I will be working the red carpet Monday night, my good friend Charlotte Triggs will be filling in for me for Monday's show. But I promise I'll be back with you Tuesday to recap all things Emmys. Enjoy your weekend, everyone, and thanks again for listening to People Every Day. People Every Day is produced by Chrissy Lindquist, Tony Mantia, Amy Machado, Madison Lesby, with help from Patrick Vermillion and the great team at Pod People. People's producers are me, Janine Rubenstein, and Charlotte Triggs, with help from Aliza Sesler and Fallon Harge. Edited by Morgan Foose, Carter Wogan, and Michael Aquino, and executive produced by David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman.